Hey, hey, friends, it's Dana Shea, and you are listening to Real Relationship Talk. I'm so happy that you are here on this particular episode today because it's an important topic. All of the things that we talk about on Real Relationship Talk are important, but I think that today's episode is really going to help to set a lot of you free. You are listening to Real Relationship Talk, a podcast helping married and pre-married couples build lasting love from above. Got problems? Let's solve them. Because real trials need real truth. Now it's time to get in the game with your relationship coach and host, Dana Shea. Have you ever faced rejection in your life? Have you ever gone through a season of betrayal? Maybe there was a spouse that betrayed you, or maybe you had a close friend or someone that you thought that you would be in a relationship with for a long time. Maybe you got stabbed in the back by somebody on your job or by a neighbor. The truth of the matter is, I think that all of us at some point or another have faced rejection. And I like to say all the time that it's not what you go through, it's how you go through that determines how you will end up on the other side. So I am so excited and just really blessed to be able to introduce you all to a new friend of the podcast. Her name is Nicole Langman, and Nicole is an award-winning author. She is a speaker, and she is a clinical counselor. Nicole has written a book called You Are Wanted, Reclaiming the Truth of Who You Are. And in her book, she really helps us to understand things like soul wounds and how rejection and going through different valley seasons of our life are actually God's workbench, as she says. I can't wait for you guys to hear this conversation. So please help me welcome our guest today, Nicole Langman. Well, as I mentioned in the intro, we are so excited to have with us our guest for today, Nicole Langman. And we've just been talking a little bit in the intro. Nicole is Canadian. I noticed that in her on her website, there was some extra letters. And I'm like, okay, she's not from the United States. Um, <laughs> so anyway, Nicole, I'm so excited that you're here. And I can't wait for our conversation today. Me too. Thank you for inviting me on. And you're right. We just add a little bit of extra just to just to sweeten the pot a little bit in our in our English, taking our roots from the British, hey? <laughs> exactly. I love the little hey at the end. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> well, Nicole, why don't, you t- <laughs> why don't you tell us a little bit about how you got started in your line of work? You're a clinical counselor, and I know that you have a ministry uh, passion. You're an author. You're a speaker, all the things. How did you get started in specifically the topic that you are uh, really well-versed in, which is talking to people about rejection and betrayal? How did that journey start off for you? Yeah, that is, it's such a huge question because if I go back to kind of childhood, I always wanted to be a counselor. It was just, you know, sometimes you've got that childhood dream where there's that sense of, I just know that I know that I know. And so I I pursued my schooling in social work and I have a bachelor's and a master's degree in social work because I, I didn't know that social worker, I could be in private practice, but turns out I can. And so uh, over a series of years and different kind of areas of practice, I I found myself in just private practice, clinical clinical work with individuals. So right now I work with women only. And historically over the last 20 years, I've worked with men and women and couples. But right now I find myself just really feeling pulled by God to work with women and all the beautiful things that women manage in their life and uh, and go through in their lives. We are relationship focused. We are created for relationship, but we also struggle with things like 
relationship issues, anxiety, and um, and just even identity, self-esteem, boundaries, assertive communication, uh, historical trauma. So just a variety of, of areas that I get to work with women. It's such, it's such a privilege for me. But um, about, so most recently, I've considered myself a bit of a rejection researcher because thanks to Brene Brown, we get to research some of these, you know, she's a shame researcher and, and a vulnerability researcher. And, and I found myself in the valley, I call the valley of rejection when um, several years ago, my, my husband of almost 20 years walked away from the relationship. And uh, he'd been building a life outside of our marriage and that blindside, it just catapulted me into the, to the deepest valley of my life. And so I call that valley, the valley of rejection, the valley of betrayal. And God, I say that the valley is God's best workbench. And so in that valley, he just worked so beautifully on me. And, um, and there was a lot of push pull for me because I didn't want to carry this story of rejection. And, you know, sometimes God allows us to walk through valleys that we really would prefer not to walk through, but in, in every case, that's the place where he shows up closest to his kids. So during that time, I thought, I'm going to learn more about this whole rejection thing. I'm going to learn about um, why does rejection sting so much? Why is this such a, a soul? I call it a soul wound. And um, and how does God work with his kids in the valley when there's been rejection and betrayal and abandonment and loss? So uh, it's been a really beautiful painful, <laughs> beautiful journey. And, uh, but, you know, here on the other side of that valley, I just am so grateful for the story that I get to hold and for the women I get to, I get to work with. So through that work, I've written a book. Um, uh, it's called You Are Wanted, Reclaiming the Truth of Who You Are, because rejection, of course, makes us feel like we are uh, unwanted and uh, disposable, replaceable, whatever it might be. And so, that book is a is designed to help women who have been rejected, betrayed, abandoned, kind of travel through that valley, and uh, and so yeah, so I find myself talking a lot about it these days, which has been quite a surprise and quite a blessing. Mm. Yeah, you know, it's sad that that is so many women's story. Um, that so many mm. of us have been damaged by rejection and by betrayal. And I want to go into your story a little bit, Nicole. 20 years is a long time to invest in a marriage and then to have your husband walk away from the marriage. I know that our listeners are probably like gasping, like, oh my gosh, like, was there anything when that, when you were first starting to go through that, when you started to kind of look back, they say hindsight is twenty twenty. were there any signs that you saw along the way that you thought, oh man, I missed that? Yeah. That's such a such a great question, and um, yes, but we don't we don't necessarily see what we're not looking for, and we certainly don't see what we don't want to find. So, uh, it if I in retrospect, yeah, there were definitely some signs and um, and indicators along the way, and you know, if I can just answer that a little bit more intimately, the probably the one of the pivotal points was. Um, I, I, I found out that he was using pornography and that I have to speak to often when I, when I, when I talk to women about this, the sense of betrayal and rejection that comes along with uh, the use of pornography. And so it's, it, it hurts us at a soul level. And so that probably was a bit of a pivotal point for where I was, I was 
very confused and struck by this because we had taken a very strong and against it. And I understood that we were, um, you know, on the same page in that. And then over a period of time, there was a distancing. And, you know, when you are married to somebody, you know, when they're close up and, you know, when they're far away. But we also know as Christians, when sin gets involved, it definitely disconnects. And so that distancing, I was, I found myself kind of hustling and wondering what is, what's this about? Like what's happening? And as a therapist, I was reading the signs. I was looking, I was like, what to help me understand? I was asking the right questions, but of course, um, we don't necessarily get the truth when someone's, uh, doing some things behind the scenes. Right. So that was, those were some of the front end things that I probably, if I could look back on and say, yeah, I, I, I did see some yellow flags and certainly some red flags with the pornography, that I probably, I could have done something more about. Well, being that you're a Christian, you know, we like to think that because we know the truth and we know the Bible teaches like the truth will set you free, but that doesn't inoculate us from pain. This very traumatic situation, like, did you have thoughts of feeling like you were damaged or or was the truth kind of like a barrier for you? Mm. Yeah, I felt like there was something wrong with me. And uh, I just really couldn't understand what was happening because it didn't connect with what I knew to be true of our relationship. And, and, in, and in many ways, to be really honest, at that time, as a Christian, I would have called myself a Christian. But, you know, I wouldn't have said I was walking intimately with Jesus the way that um, I am now, the way that the valley taught me to walk with him. Uh, I, had, mm. I had actually put my husband on uh, a bit of a pedestal. And I think I probably found my identity. I know I found my identity in him instead of finding my identity in the Lord. And so as a Christian, there was that sense in my spirit that something was going on that I knew wasn't okay. And, and yet uh, I still really wrestled with, oh my gosh, like what is wrong with me that this would be happening in my home? And and if you've got listeners out there, I just need to tell you that someone else's pornography use is not up to you. It's not about inadequacies in you. It's not about shortcomings in you, whether or not you're a good enough partner or not. It's not about you. So um, if if I have to just be the only one to tell you that today, I just really feel like I need to say that. So definitely I own that as about me. And and. And in retrospect, I know that it wasn't. Yeah. Wow. You know, you keep referring to the valley and what you learned on the other side of it. And I just know that, you know, personally, I've gone through different valley experiences in my life. And of course, none of us want them. We don't like wish them, uh, but we know that they're coming. Right. And I've just found that like what God teaches you in the valley can't be learned any other way. Like there's no other way for it to be learned, which is the only reason that he allows us to go through. Because he's a good father. Like if if there was another way for us to learn it, he would let us learn it that way. Do you ever wonder what is the secret to a truly happy marriage? Maybe you find yourself looking at other couples wondering, what do they know that I don't? Well, friend, I have developed a free resource for you. It's a free audio called Seven Secrets to a Happy Marriage. These are some principles that I've learned in my own 23-year marriage that I know it's going to encourage you on your journey to having a truly happy and healthy marriage. Download your free resource today at realrelationshiptalk.com forward slash seven secrets. That's realrelationshiptalk.com forward slash seven secrets. Now let's get to our show. So what are some things that you learned about God through that Valley experience? 
Oh my God. Everything you say is just like, woo, that is so true. You are so, so right. I, um, I, you know, I really believe that, um, the Valley is, like I said, God's workbench. It's the place that he saddles up closest to, to his kids and he shows us who he is. And I, I really, even just what you're saying is so true in that, you know, he, I believe he allows certain valley valleys for us because he either wants to grow us closer to him, which is always the truth, or he wants us to have an opportunity to have an experience that will help others learn more about him. But what I learned more than anything else is that he is a close up intimate God who absolutely adores his kids. Like the, the word that stood out for me at first, and I had this experience that I talk about in the Valley quite a bit, and that I love words. I'm a words girl. I, I love words. I obviously I use a lot of them. And, um, and so he, I've been reciting the rejected, rejectable in my mind. It was like this, like spin cycle in my head. Just, you are rejectable. You're rejected. I couldn't, I couldn't break the spin cycle. It was awful. And one warm morning I woke up after a rotten night's sleep with anxiety and all the things. And I, I really felt him say in my heart, I felt him say, Oh my goodness, Nicole, you sure love our words. Why don't you go write some down? And so I like dragged my very exhausted body out to my little chair where I did my devotions every morning. And I sat down and I, I started to write out our words. And I started, of course, with rejected and rejectable. And then I just started writing things like rhubarb, you know, um, rotten. And then the relish stopped me in my tracks. And I write about this in my book. And I was like, okay, God, relish, relish. Um, like a condiment, like what you put in potato salad. What's the big deal with relish? That's a weird word. And his words to me were, go, go look it up. And I look it up and you know what relish means? It means to adore. It means mm-hmm. to add zest to. It means to delight in. And in that moment, I thought to myself, oh my gosh, the king of the universe relishes me. He relishes me. So, so if the king of the universe relishes me, then no human words about me, nothing that's happened to me with another human being ever gets to trump what God says. And he says that I'm zesty. He says that I'm delightful. He adores me. And I think that was pivotal for me. That's beautiful. I love that. I'm never going to look at the word relished the same. That's so, (laughs) so beautiful, right? It's like, I love when God does that. Oftentimes he will tell me the same, like, go look that word up. And you know the word, like, you're like, okay, I know what that word is. But then when you really look at the definition, you're like, oh my God, like I just got a whole nother revelation. And just some other R words. I don't know if this made your list or not, but I thought redeemed restored, rescued, remembered, you know, like so many of those words, because what the enemy does is he tries to use our broken parts, the broken circumstances that we experience to tell us that we're broken, that we're damaged goods, that we are somehow, like you said earlier, you know, there's something wrong with me. And I know that there are a lot of people who are listening who have had those those same thoughts. Like there's something wrong with me. Why do I keep getting rejected by everybody? Why does every man that I've been Mm -hmm. with keep cheating on me? Why am I forgotten about? Mm -hmm. Why don't my friends reach out to me? And I just, I'm so glad that we're talking about this, Nicole, because I think when you're in that kind of spin cycle of rejection, you feel like you're the only one. You feel like everybody else's relationship Mm -hmm. is good and everybody else has a good marriage and everybody else has great friendships. And I'm the only one, which 
furthers the whole thinking that we're damaged or that there's something wrong. So how do how would you recommend that somebody get out of that cycle? Yeah, it's good. You're so right. You're so right. And those words, redeemed, rescued, remember, those are my my words. I love that you shared those words. They're in my book and I had some, uh, I've done some work with them. I just, yeah, our words, very special. Now, in terms of the rejection piece, what I've learned about rejection in my field research in the Valley was that it's actually not the rejection that hurts the most. What hurts the most is the messages that we attach the rejection, how we interpret the injection, the rejection. So it's kind of like a cognitive behavior therapy exercise around uh, reframing and shifting how you think about something because uh, rejection, it, it hurts on some level, but it's actually the meaning that we ascribe to the rejection. And you said, right, we lose comparison society where we notice everyone's highlight reels and we um, we believe all of the good things that are happening for them. And then we own it as though that those things aren't available to us. And so I, um, I think what I've learned, if nothing else about rejection is that I have to be really careful about what uh, meaning I ascribe to it. And that I don't, uh, I don't tend, I don't attach too much meaning to it if there doesn't need to be meaning there. So when I was rejected by my uh, former partner, uh, I owned that about some inadequacy in, in me, or if, uh, you know, someone unfriends me or doesn't like my post or looks like they're having a party without me, I own, I own it of inadequacy. We, we can tend to own it about an inadequacy about ourselves. But if we can switch the script a little bit, right, and we can script, switch the script a little bit and tell ourselves a different narrative about it, it can, uh, it can help us feel differently about it. And then, of course, everything gets held up to, but what does God say about me? What is truth? about what God says about me. What is, who does he say? He says, I'm the object of the greatest pursuit of all time. He says I've woven together and, um, and made in his image. He says that he would gladly show up just for me one more time. He loves me that much. He values me that much. So when we kind of like hold it up against that truth and we challenge the negative, the negative um, dialogue and narrative with, with maybe a different um, interpretation that can sometimes stop that spin cycle for us. Yeah, that's so, so good. You know, I love that you said that it isn't the event of rejection that hurts the most. It's it's how we internalize. And I think that, you know, if you grew up in a household, for example, where that rejection narrative was sort of cemented in you, that maybe like when you had a childhood and you felt like you were rejected as a child, and then you go through a traumatic situation like this, like that could just exacerbate or even um, just underscore like those feelings that you already had from the time that you were a child. And, you know, I think of yeah. in my life, for example, you know, I didn't grow up feeling rejected per se, but I definitely grew up feeling like I was on the outside. You know, I wasn't very athletic. I cheered. I was a cheerleader my whole life, but I was always like the last kid to get picked on any kind of <laughs> on any kind of like athletic team and PE, you know. And so those things, they they definitely I be, I think they begin to kind of shape me like maybe I'm 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 average. I kind of had like this this idea in my mind like I'm I'm just okay. You know, I'm not great, I'm not bad, I'm just kind of okay. And so what mm. I realized about myself is I when I would get in friendships or, you know, even like my first little dating relationships, I really didn't have like a whole lot of expectations of folks. I was just kind of like, you know, if it, if, if the friendship works out, okay. If it doesn't, okay. Like there wasn't a lot of hope, I guess, you know, that this is going to be like a viable, healthy relationship. 
And I'm saying all that because I really think that if we're not like aware of what we believe about ourselves, then it makes it easier when something happens to us for then us to fall into some of these damaging cycles. So I don't know what the question is in there. Um, I'm just kind of like talking about like having an epiphany here on the podcast. Um, But obviously you're a clinical counselor. So if you were talking to someone who has always kind of felt rejected or maybe they again have, uh, maybe like me, they just felt like they were just kind of average or okay. How can that person go from either feeling rejected or not feeling necessarily special or treasured? How can they go from feeling like that to knowing that, no, like I am actually, like you said before, the apple of God's eye, his chosen, his beloved. This is my identity in him. Mm -hmm. It's a great question. Language counts, right? It doesn't, it, uh, the, the stories we tell ourselves about ourselves have this ripple effect into every, every area of our life. And I love that you shared that from your past where you, where you said, I just was like average. And then I went into my life, not really having high expectations. Uh, and if it works, it works. It doesn't. And I think that that's almost a defense mechanism, isn't it? Because we are built mm. for connection. We're built for belonging. And so when we step into our lives with this kind of indifference, I, in some ways, I mean, I can't speak for, for you, but I think maybe that's a little bit of a protective mechanism for some of us. And, uh, and so the story we generate is, uh, it's okay. It's okay if this doesn't work out, uh, you know, things don't work out in terms of relationships or, you know, whatever it might be. So we often find actually that we can, we talk about those like kind of um, self-fulfilling prophecies where you actually kind of like create the thing that we most fear by maybe being apathetic in a space as a way to protect ourselves from, you know, hoping too much in a relationship or whatever it might be. And so again, I go back to that script around what am I telling myself about myself? And that's the, the cognitive behavior therapist, therapist in me says, thoughts equal feelings, feelings equal behavior. So what we think informs how we feel. So we need to go back to like the Bible says, taking every thought captive and making sure that we're thinking on things that are good and pure and true and right and then the, the narrative therapist in me says, what does the story of inadequacy want to take from you? Mm. And if inadequacy could um, rob you of any more of your life, what, what, what would it rob you of first? And if inadequacy wasn't a problem or didn't show up in your life, what, um, what would be there instead? How would that feel different? How would life feel different? How would relationships feel different if inadequacy was no longer bearing down on you? And so I like to combine the two because I think these are just really neat kind of positioning questions around all of it's not true. You're not average. I'm not average. We're like daughters of the king. And as, as, as cheesy as that sounds, the truth of the matter is like we're made, we're made to shine, right? And we are remarkable. And so what, uh, what gets in the way of what sabotages that? And, um, and how do we kind of flip that script a little bit again with some of those cognitive behavior therapy or narrative therapy strategies? I as love well as narrative the therapy. Yeah, like I had never heard of narrative <laughs> therapy uh, until I actually went on your website, to be honest. Um, and I was like, oh, I love narratives. Yeah. You know, I love stories. So I'm imagining that it's taken the story. Yeah. Could totally correct me if this is wrong. But I'm imagining yeah. it's taken the stories of your life and then figuring out like what the, what, how to help someone through their stories. Is that what it is? Yeah, exactly. We have dominant stories in our life. So we have stories that become dominant. And so if our story is um, I'm rejectable or I'm replaceable, then we tend to kind of 
we kind of filter all of the rest of our lives through that dominant story. And so part of the work of narrative therapy is challenging that story and noticing for kind of trying to poke holes in it a little bit where have been, where have been expect, uh, exceptions to the rule type of a thing. And, um, and we often say as narrative therapists, we say, you're not the problem, the problem's the problem. Mm. And, uh, and that's a liberating statement, isn't it? Like you're yeah. not the problem, the problem's the problem. And how do we change your relationship to the problem to liberate you from it, to help you feel more empowered, to stand up against it when it tries to like um, come down on you? Yeah, I mean, that's just great marriage advice, you know, for and, and a lot of the work that I do is with marriages with couples. And I find that oftentimes when a couple is in conflict, the problem isn't the problem, the spouse becomes the problem. And so it's all about like me versus you at that point, instead of I was just at a coaching session earlier today, and I was telling the couple I was working with, I said, you know, we have to remember that it's both of you, the, the thing that's in your way is the obstacle that you're both trying to overcome. It's not, you know, you versus yeah. me here. And that I mean, we could say the same for friendship, right? right? We could say the same thing for any relationship. Yeah. If we if we approach it, and if we look at the yeah. problem as the person, I mean, the Bible says this, we, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. But it's the other things. It's the principalities yes. that rules over the darkness. You know, that's the problem. It isn't ever the person that's yeah. the problem, which is hard when you're mm -hmm. looking in the face that's of right. someone who's hurting you. It's like, yeah. no, like you are actually the yeah. problem here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, totally. Right. Yeah, completely. That's that's such good. You're so right. Like, I love that you're speaking to this because you're absolutely right. We are in. We're in relationship with each other, all in every aspect of our life. And and when we have a lot of skin in the game, like a marriage or uh, a close friendship, it's it's hard to regulate uh, when there's conflict like that. And and so it's brilliant. It's in narrative therapy, we talk about uh, there's there's you, you, and the relationship. And so when you're really not happy with your friend or your spouse, how do you still honor their relationship so that? Um, uh, you can be standing in a way of honoring that. And even if your partner is ticking you off or your friend is ticking you off, how do I honor the relationship we've built? And if the relationship could speak, what would it advise? And uh, so it's kind of a fun little twist on that. Yeah, I love narrative too. Yeah, I'm really, I'm going to like look more into that. I think that that's very, very important um, because I, I do believe that while we don't live in the past, of course, the past does help to inform the present. And I think that we would be wise to, um, to go back to some of those stories. And obviously if there's trauma, you know, you would need to walk that through yeah. with, with a trained counselor or someone, because, you know, you don't want to start making up things that could be even more damaging. Someone's kind of working through that by themselves. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah. you know, I, I just love that we're talking about the whole restoration piece of rejection because, we have a choice. I think at the end of the day, like we probably everyone could say at some point in their lives, they've been rejected. Even if it's just you got, you didn't get a job that you applied for and you felt rejected from that job or you felt rejected from that company, but we have a yeah. choice in, in what we're going to do with that rejection. And Nicole, you've made your whole life's work really a testimony, a monument, you know, um, to that, that, mm -hmm. that yes, that happens to you. Um, however, you, you weren't going to stop there. You weren't going to just say, you know what, I'm, I'm just rejectable, as you mentioned before. But no, I'm actually going to use what I've been through mm -hmm. to actually then help other people to see their worth and their value in God's eyes. So I just love that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Thank you. Yeah. Absolutely. Thank you. I appreciate, I appreciate that, that feedback. One of the things I, 
I think is really important to kind of hang on to and keep in mind is, you know, we can't wave the flag of victim and the flag of victor at the same time. And God's called us into victory. And how do we stand in victory uh, with him when there's been this deep valley, when there's been a rejection, when there's been a sense of being unchosen? And uh, um, and so holding on to that victory flag is is uh, essential. That's what he calls us to, and doing what we can to uh, to be to be helping other people through that valley. I love Which is what you're doing too. Oh, thank you so much for that. God's good. Um, well, your book is called You Are Wanted, Reclaiming the Truth of Who You Are. It's award-winning. And uh, I'm sure that people can find that all <laughs> over the place, but we will definitely link to the book in the show notes of this podcast. And uh, Nicole, I just want to thank you for being here today. I think you've shared such a message of hope. And it's one thing for someone to tell you. It's another thing for someone to say, no, I like I lived this. And this is what I have learned through yeah. the valley. And now I'm helping other people out of that. So thank you. Just thank you for your authenticity and your transparency and sharing with us today. Thank you so much. What a treat to talk with you. Well, Nicole, thank you so very much for everything that you shared with us. You know, I I say this all the time, y'all. I I need to start recording some of these pre-interviews because there's so much magic that happens, if I can use that word, uh, before we start recording with my guests and I. And we just hit it right off. And she's such a beautiful soul, such a delight. And um, I'm just so grateful for what she shared with us today. And how many of you all are now more interested in learning more about narrative therapy? How many of you are more interested in learning more about soul wounds? I love the terminology there. And I'm really interested in how to care better for ourselves and, of course, how to care better for you. How do I, as a marriage coach, help you to understand that the wounds in your life don't have to be gaping, gashing wounds forever, that you can go through something and you'll have a scar or you might have a visible reminder of something that you went through, but that reminder does not have to induce pain in your life any longer. And so maybe this has been a moment of healing for you. If so, I would love to hear about it. Could you send me just a quick little message on Instagram at Mrs. Dana Shea, that's at M-R-S-D-A-N-A-C-H-E, and just let me know if this episode in particular helps you to have some clarity on uh, maybe a valley of your own rejection that you've gone through. So you can find the show notes to this episode on realrelationshiptalk.com forward slash episode 134. And um, I'll also have Nicole's book linked in the show notes of this podcast. And do make sure that you follow her on Instagram. I'll have her Instagram handles also linked in the show notes of this podcast. She's got some really uh, just real inspirational, encouraging posts. And I've enjoyed just getting to know Nicole a little bit. So I know that you're going to enjoy her as well. Well, friends, it is that time to wrap up the show today. As I always say, a good relationship is not one that works. A good relationship is one where you put in the work. Let's get to work, my friends. I will see you on the next episode. Take care. Thank you for listening to Real Relationship Talk with Dana Shea. Find the show notes, helpful articles, and more relationship tips at realrelationshiptalk.com. Enjoying the show? Be sure to rate and review wherever you listen to your podcasts. And remember to subscribe. We'll see you on the next episode. Once in a generation... 
A podcast comes along with the power and eloquence to inspire us all. This show will entertain you while you wait for that one. Join two best friends, author and former history teacher John Driver and comedian Johnny W. for hilarious and authentic conversations about life, history, culture, faith, and everything in between. You can listen to Talk About That wherever you find your podcasts or at lifeaudio.com.